0: Well, I'm excited to talk to you today from Isaiah chapter 11. We've spent the last uh, three weeks uh, in Isaiah, and uh, this morning we actually, if you notice, we're, we're going backwards, uh, sequentially backwards in time, to kind of highlight uh, what's going to come in Isaiah 61, the call for uh, God's pouring out of His Spirit on Jesus, who pours out His goodness and grace on us. Uh, And uh, so uh, Jesus is the servant that God uses to uh, impact our world, to uh, serve us, if you will, and then invites us to ourselves follow in his footsteps and uh, become uh, servants uh, in a similar way. So we're going to backtrack and start with Isaiah 61. And then we're going to just highlight uh, Isaiah 42 and see uh, some similarities in language between those two chapters and we'll go all the way back to uh, Isaiah chapter 11 and see if there is any similarities there as well the uh, early church the followers of Jesus uh, as they saw who Jesus was and they heard uh, what he taught and they saw his heart which was really the the heart of God they uh, as uh, students of Scripture, uh, a good Jewish uh, man or woman would have uh, huge chunks of the Hebrew Scriptures uh, memorized because they had a challenge that we don't have in our time. Uh, some of us have, at least I know one person in this room was going to have in his back pocket a Gideon Bible. Is there somebody here with a Gideon Bible? I thought Frank might have one. Uh, that wasn't available back in uh, the time of Isaiah, uh, some four or five hundred years after the time of, uh, of David. Uh, I have the phone, uh, my phone, and I have the Bible on my phone. Um, I have heard uh, some uh, pastors in a message to their congregation saying, if you would now scroll to Isaiah 11, uh, and it's kind of a new era, but uh, the fact that it's uh, so handy, I love studying uh, God's Word in any format, And um, we're going to look at Isaiah 61 and 42 and then 11 and ask God to speak to us through this uh, kind of astounding uh, passage in chapter 11, but also just see how it resonates with uh, what the prophet is communicating, but also uh, the person of Jesus who reveals to us uh, who God himself is. So Isaiah 61, we read that the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on So the speaker here is uh, the the servant, the anointed king. He is the one that the Lord, he says, the Lord has anointed me, has poured his spirit out on me to proclaim wonderful, life-changing news to the poor, to the Ani, of whom uh, we are a part of here at Beth-Ani. It's a compound word that tells us that this is the home of the poor, the crushed, the broken, uh, poor of the uh, poor, uh, the uh, the home of uh, human beings, the home of God's beloved sons and daughters, and uh, this anointed king says that the Spirit has anointed me, and He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to to bring the healing, the wholeness that we can't. Uh, generate in and of ourselves, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year, excuse me, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, the season, the time, the era where the God uh, wants to be gracious to his people, and the day of vengeance of our God because God comes to, uh, to uh, provide the the vengeance that he calls us to uh, not allow to stick in our hearts because he knows that our hearts can't bear the weight of uh, carrying around uh, a vengeance over a, a season of time. I love the fact, too, that it's a season of God's favor, but only a day of vengeance. The proportion is important. God does bring vengeance, but he does it in order that we might experience his life and his wholeness and his grace. He sent me, again, to comfort all who mourn and to provide for those who are grieving, to bestow on them three gifts, and really not just gifts, but three exchange. He wants to give us a crown of beauty instead of ashes, where once people looked and realized that we're, struggling, that we're not well, that we're living lives of grief and deprivation and loss. He wants to give us a crown of beauty instead of the ashes, which is the visible sign of mourning in their culture. I I remember a a season of time when I was extremely depressed during my early college years. And uh, one day I was walking to class uh, early one morning, and uh, somebody was walking behind me, a friend maybe 20 yards behind, and they called out, Doug, what's wrong? And I stopped and I turned around and said, "What, what do you mean?" I, I mean, I was walking away from them, but something about the way I was walking made it, uh, I guess, aware of what was going on internally. And God wants to uh, change, not just to s- slap on a, a smile when our heart is breaking. He wants to to uh, comfort those who are mourning, provide for those who are grieving, and to give us this beautiful exchange—a crown of beauty instead of ashes, and then a second gift or exchange, the oil of joy instead of mourning. So we're called to anoint our head with oil, and people would anoint their faces, and indeed still do, and he wants to transform our lives so that we're full of joy and preoccupied with the presence of God with us, oil as a beautiful picture of the uh, Spirit of God uh, throughout the pages of the Hebrew Scriptures and the New Testament as well so another reference that God poured his spirit out on Jesus and Jesus uh, is gonna live in the power of the Holy Spirit we know through the Gospels and then uh, after his death burial resurrection and ascension he's gonna pour out the Holy Spirit on all who believe in Jesus he wants to fill us with his very life and breath. And a third gift, Jesus uh, as the representative of this anointed king came to give us a garment of praise. He came to dress us up, whereas previously we could be characterized by a spirit of despair. And that's not just going through loss, which we all do, that's carrying around a, a, a permanent sense of loss, living in the shadow of pain and grief. And he wants to cover us instead with a garment of praise as we uh, pour out our praise to God for His grace and for His goodness during both good times and grievous times. And the net result is spiritual transformation over a season of time. He says that these, they will be called, these poor, the brokenhearted, the captives, the prisoners, the mourning, the grieving, uh, they will be called mighty oaks Powerful, sturdy, stable, strong trees. A planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. Why are you and I here on this planet? One reason is to show people the glory of God in our lives, and our relationships together. We're to be mighty oaks. A planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor and his glory and for us to invest in uh, our our generation but also the generations yet to come uh, so that we could rebuild ancient ruins, restore places long devastated, the three R's, and renew ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. God wants us to take part in making All things new and bringing a new beginning to our families, to our marriages, to our relationships, to our community, and to our world. And then last week we turned to Isaiah chapter 42, where it begins rather kind of simply, here is my servant, but I love Eugene Peterson's observation that it's a little stronger word there, here. It's more the verb for looking, for seeing. Uh, Behold, or check this out. This is my servant. And now, not the servant speaking, now it's the sovereign Lord speaking. Here is my servant. Behold, pay attention. Everything's about to change. Here is my servant, the one I uphold. He's my chosen one in whom I delight. And I will put my spirit on him, and he will bring justice to the nations. Our world is in desperate need of justice in big and small ways. Uh, Even the baseball world is in need of justice. I think of this as uh, we had uh, an injustice perpetrated on uh, all, I think, spans of sports, which is uh, in many ways... uh, uh, just a mirror of our culture or our civilization. And so uh, people have uh, overreacted, as is going to happen, and so threats on the lives or families of Houston Astros players is not appropriate. Uh, so often when we go through injustice, we we then uh, double up or double down, and uh, we act in vengeance, right? But Jesus came to bring justice, not just in... Uh, Small ways, as we've seen in the sporting world, but in massive ways where people uh, have been uh, treated in ways that aren't right, that aren't uh, uh, just and fair. I will put my spirit on him. So a second time, a second, a location in Isaiah, we're a reference to the servant of God, the one God chose, the one God delights in, and He says, "I will put my spirit on him." John three thirty four says, uh, "On Jesus." God poured out the Spirit without measure, without restriction. He didn't take a little little teaspoon of God's Spirit and sprinkle that over like pixie dust on Jesus. He gave Jesus the Holy Spirit without measure. And Jesus began something that has changed uh, all humanity and continues to be at work. Uh, verse 2 and 3, uh, he will not shout or cry out or raise his voice in the streets. And here we think of uh, the reality that in human life, people often try to use words to e- shout each other down or to ma- manipulate the truth or to promote themselves. And I think in this case uh, of, uh, of uh, athletes again who uh, act like they've never done uh, great accomplishments before. I think of uh, politicians who are trying to have their way and sometimes can use words to twist, to try to twist reality and to say things that aren't uh, even accurate, to kind of power up against other people. And then verse 3: a bruised reed, it says, he will not break. A smoldering wick, he will not snuff out. So the reality is the one that came, that the Father. The Sovereign Lord chose the one in whom He delights. He came not to to uh, intimidate us, not to not to overpower our will. He came to to love us, anointed with the Spirit of God and the Spirit of love. Uh, and He comes to us, and at different seasons in our life, we are a bruised reed or a a smoldering wick. At different seasons of life, think about. Uh, in infancy, before we're born, and the helplessness uh, uh, and the vulnerability that we exhibit, but think also when we are born and first come into the world and really can't do anything for ourselves. And God cares and God is engaged. And think about seasons and time if we're walking through, as the Psalms say, the valley of the shadow of death, which every one of us comes to that moment. Uh, for ourselves but every one of us comes to that moment also in our relationships with people that we care deeply about and God is there and when we're going through these times uh, he's not going to break the bruised reed. In fact uh, when he takes us home it's because we are bruised to the point that, uh, that uh, God wants to heal us in the ultimate way for all time and take us to a place where there's no more Sadness, sickness, illness, grieving, loss, death, or pain. A bruised reed he will not break. A smoldering wick, when we're kind of wandering around, it could be at a different stage in life, but we're wondering if our light's about to go out. He's not going to snuff us out. That's who, as we look back from the perspective of the coming of Jesus, it makes sense to us why Isaiah was such a powerful. Book of Scripture, those 66 chapters are referred to uh, very heavily by Jesus himself and by the, the New Testament writers. And so now we did 61, almost near the end of the 66 chapters. We, we looked at Isaiah 42, and there's other passages that we could look at. Around Christmas time, we usually look at one that's in chapter 9 of Isaiah Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and his name will be called. Wonderful counselor. Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Well, we're going to look at chapter 11, which initially is a little confusing, I think, in language, or a little bit unclear, and we have to kind of think about what it is that we're, we're called to, to examine, called to reflect on. He says, uh, Isaiah 11, that a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. Well, what's a shoot? (laughs) Uh, There was a grammarian in our culture whose name I've forgotten uh, briefly, but he talked about the fact that uh, many words either sound alike uh, or have uh, uh, multiple meanings. Polyvalence, I believe, is is the term. And and so uh, it leads to situations where uh, he wrote a book based on observation of uh, language, Called eats shoots and leaves, uh, and it could be is that referring to a basketball player who has breakfast, lunch, dinner, and then goes out and shoots some buckets and then takes off? Uh, but in fact, it was uh, in reference to an animal like the uh, the lovable you know koala bear who eats shoots and leaves. So words sometimes can mean more than one thing in different combinations. So what is a shoot? Well, a shoot is uh, something that, that comes forth that's green, but I want us to kind of back up for a moment and, and not focus, focus on the shoot that comes up and the, the branch that bears fruit, but focus on the other two parts of that. Focus on the stump of Jesse. The stump of Jesse. We know who Jesse is. Jesse is the father of David, uh, Israel's uh, greatest king, a man after God's heart an imperfect man, as all of us are, but a man who chose to follow God, and God had promised David that one of his descendants would sit on the throne of David uh, for all time. And uh, Isaiah, some 500 years later, five centuries or so later, is uh, spoken uh, to uh, Israel when they have been battered and shattered and scattered in exile. And it looks like the promise to David has disappeared off the face of the earth, and it looks like this magnificent kingdom. Think about Jesus talking about the the, the little seed. The kingdom of God is like a, a seed that grows into a magnificent tree, and and all the the creatures of the world, all the all the birds uh, of the earth, will take refuge uh, under its canopy. Uh, in that sense, uh, we're looking at what we hope is a a tree and something of beauty and significance and uh, weight and power and instead what we see is something that isn't very impressive in fact really all that's left are roots i was disappointed uh, over the past a couple months shut off my automatic sprinklers uh, because of the occasional rain that came and uh, yesterday i was coming back to the house and i noticed that my fuchsias out in front in kind of hanging baskets. I was gonna say they were looking a little dry. They were looking fairly dead. I hope they're not dead uh, because, you know, for me, I'm not a great gardener, but I became a much better gardener when I discovered automatic sprinklers uh, and self watering kind of a, a process. Man, I, I'm not bad in that event. And so I turned the sprinklers back on and hopefully they'll be resurrected, but, and I'm hoping there's still roots there. Uh, last year after the the hot season, which is we're getting a little bit like Phoenix, you know, where we have kind of two cool months and then ten months of summer. So we don't have really seasons here as much, right? But I was so glad in the the backyard that a plant that I really enjoy is uh, uh, delphinium. It's a a blue flower and uh, quite lovely, but a little delicate and it doesn't like the extreme heat. If you keep it watered, it does okay. But it had uh, gone the way of many of my other plants uh, a year ago. And then uh, when the wet season came, we had some extreme wetness. I was kind of shocked to see uh, some blue flowers in the planter where the delphinium was. So apparently the root was still there even though I hadn't been able to tell it to that point and that flower came back. So now I'm hoping that for my delphinium in the front. Uh, The point is this. If you think of... uh, 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 a place that's supposed to be verdant and supposed to be green Eugene Peterson talks about uh, living uh, fairly close to Virginia where you can enjoy he says the panorama of autumn color in the great forests of the Appalachian mountains and uh, people walk in them they they hike the Appalachian trail they enjoy the forest but imagine if when they arrived you find that a gigantic logging operation has been underway and every tree All that's left is just a stump. As far as the eye can see, there's not a single tree standing, only a a cemetery of stumps. How would you feel? Angry, depressed, empty. Would you weep? Would you lose all interest in the world of nature and retreat into a kind of a depressed paralysis? Or would you run around in a rage, blooding your fists on the stump? Whatever you did, it wouldn't do any good. The forest... Is gone. Nothing can bring it back. The f- trees are destroyed. All that is left is a wasteland. Or possibly think of uh, California's magnificent uh, uh, vineyards or California's uh, beautiful uh, citrus trees and imagine they're all gone. It's a wasteland. Or imagine uh, the beautiful redwoods up in Northern California. Imagine them just being. Severed almost to the ground and lifeless, and the sadness and disappointment. This is how Israel looked at their lives. It looked at their nation. He says uh, that wasteland is Israel at the time of Isaiah's sermon, about 500 years after David, about 500 years before Jesus, because the Assyrian army had invaded the land and totally laid waste to it. And then someone sees a shoot that springs up out of the stock the stock of Jesse the stump of Jesse and from his roots a branch will bear fruit there's a message of hope and goodness that he received and he shared with God's people while he was standing in a field of stumps Eugene Peterson again he faced destruction with a, with a people that had experienced destruction and judgment. Isaiah knew thoroughly what was wrong with the world. He describes in other passages the painful details of human sin and human suffering and Assyrian brutality. You think in Isaiah 9 of the discussions about the, the warrior's boots covered in blood uh, and the rod of the oppressor. And all the uh, brutality that Israel, uh, the people of God had experienced at the hands of the Assyrians. And then Peterson says this. I don't think there is anything that you or I are facing or will face that Isaiah didn't face. But he was not stuck there. He was not reduced to the conditions he experienced Within the emptiness and across the wasteland, he saw what God was already doing and would complete. The shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. Look, God is not finished. God is not done with us. From those roots that remain, there is a branch that will come forth that will bear fruit. And goes on, verse 2, and this by now shouldn't be a, a surprise to see this. And the spirit of the Lord will rest on him. (laughs) Well, here we are again. It's uh, you know repeated for uh, emphasis, and from uh, the beginning to the middle to the end of Isaiah, we we see that the spirit of God comes and things begin to change. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him, and if you look at this and go back in your Bibles and look at the first uh, three chapter, uh, first three verses of the opening book of Scripture in Genesis, you see the Spirit of the living God, and it comes to hover over nothingness. pictures the Spirit as a dove that is hovering over chaos, uh, nothingness, emptiness, uh, vacancy, just loss and deprivation. Uh, and it's that process through which, the verse that we're more familiar with, Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. We know that the Holy Spirit was involved in the creation of the world as well. And and here God's creative spirit, his very life, the very breath of God himself, the spirit of the Lord will rest on him. And the spirit is then given some definition. Uh, When I grew up, uh, uh, there was a translation that we used because it was the primary translation used in English-speaking countries, the King James Version, and there was much beauty and goodness in it, but there was a little bit of a confusing phrase to me growing up used for the Holy Spirit, and that was the Holy Ghost. Now, if you've grown up, and uh, back in the day, some of you will remember this, there were cartoons on, but only one day a week, and typically in the morning, only on Saturdays. So I knew ghosts, right? Right? who do we know on Saturday mornings Casper the friendly ghost so thinking uh, being told about or uh, maybe encouraged to reflect on the importance of the Holy ghost it was a little confusing probably uh, in the same way as we hear about the stump and the shoot that that burst forth but the spirit of God has been around for a long, long time, the life of God, the very breath of God. and in the Old Testament, uh, Ezekiel's getting a, a vision of uh, a beaten and battered uh, dead and desiccated army of just bones. All that was left was a, it's a graveyard, but the spirit of God came, and the spirit breathed into the army, and they took on human flesh and Uh, God breathed into their souls and they became uh, a a huge army in the same way God's spirit wants to breathe on us in parts of our lives that are dead and powerless and bring about life and fruit as he said in verse 1 and so the spirit is defined and described uh, as the spirit of wisdom and the spirit of understanding well we Need anybody here need wisdom? I sure do. Understanding, the spirit of counsel, how how good it is to have insight and wisdom that someone can share with you when you're not sure which way to go, the guidance of the spirit, the spirit of might or of power, the spirit of the knowledge and fear of the Lord, the spirit that comes from the Sovereign Lord and therefore knows the Sovereign Lord and can commun- communicate who he is to us and the spirit of the fear of the Lord which is the very beginning of wisdom and then we're given a concluding statement of this shoot of this branch of this anointed one it says verse three at first line and he will delight in the fear of the Lord and Jesus loves Spending time with his Father. He loves listening to the counsel of his Father. He, he loves doing what he does in the power of the Holy Spirit. He delights in the fear of the Lord. He delights in that relationship uh, to the point that even as he's approaching uh, his season in the cross, when he's there in the garden praying, take this cup from me, he is doing that in conversation with the Sovereign Lord He's doing that empowered by the spirit of the living God. And he goes to the cross in that same same mindset, in that same heart commitment. You and I are called to follow in the footsteps of Jesus who delighted in the fear of the Lord. It goes on. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears. He is going to determine not just things based on externals, what he hears or sees, he's going to judge with righteousness, we read. He's going to judge the needy. He's going to evaluate the the needs of broken people with justice. So with, ju- with righteousness, verse 4, and then secondly, with justice. He will give decisions for who? For the ani, for the poor of the earth. Isn't that interesting how throughout these various passages separated by lots of verses and frankly lots of chapters you have an individual that the sovereign Lord sends his spirit to rest on anoints him with to rest on and he is sent to make an impact on the needy and the poor and the crushed and to bring about justice where there is none he will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth with the breath of his lips he will slay the wicked and what will he be known for? Verse five: righteousness will be his belt, faithfulness the sash around his waist. So some of this language reminds me a little bit of Ephesians six and the armor of God. Right. So he's characterized by righteousness. Righteousness is disadvantaging ourselves to advantage someone else. Bruce Waltke, that his definition of righteousness in the Old Testament, disadvantaging ourselves to advantage someone else. Whereas in our culture, too often, Houston asterisks, uh, we advantage ourselves to disadvantage other people. Righteousness is gonna be his belt, faithfulness, you can count on him, the sash around his waist, and things are going to change. Things that normally are are uh, awful and will end in destruction through the coming of Jesus over time, verse 6, the wolf will lay down with the lamb, the leopard will lay down with the goat, the calf and the lion and the yearling together will lay down, and a little child will lead them. And again, we're two chapters past Isaiah 9, unto us a child is born, unto us a, a son is given, and the government will rest on his shoulders, right? He goes on, things are going to change. The, the vulnerable will be safe with the powerful. The cow will feed with the bear and the young will lie down together. Aren't you glad we don't live in Arcadia where he had that 450-pound bear lumbering through a neighborhood a couple days back? I saw in the paper. That just looked terrifying. <laughs> but Jesus is going to change the way things are in our world. The lion will eat straw like the ox. Infants will play near the hole of the cobra. Creeps me out even to read that. Young children, I, I know some young children. I have some young children in my life. They'll put their hands into the viper's nests. But they will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain. Why? The coming of Jesus will change because the final line of verse 9 for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Do you need something to pray for in your life? If you maybe are thinking, I, you know, God calls us to pray, but I don't know what to pray for. Well, I think most of us have enough, enough challenges that we face, situations that we need wisdom or provision or insight or, or, or counsel. If you need something to pray, uh, and you're maybe uh, sometimes uh, a little blank about what to pray for, why don't you pray for Isaiah's prophecy to come into deeper fulfillment, the promise fulfillment. Pray that the water, the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord like the waters cover the sea. What a beautiful, what a beautiful promise and what a beautiful prayer. And in that day, the root of Jesse, so now, Jesse was just a stump, if you remember right, but there was still a root, there was still life, and a shoot came up from that stump and began to change our world, to change humanity to the point that uh, he's a branch that will bear fruit, verse 1, and in verse 10, he's now the root of Jesse, and he'll stand as a banner for the people's he'll be the one that's lifted up for everybody to see and we look on him and we are safe if I am lifted up Jesus said I will draw all men and women all boys and girls all humanity to myself he will serve as a banner for the peoples and we know he's gonna make a difference in our lives right the poor the broken-hearted captive prisoners mourning, grieving we know he came to make a difference bruised reeds smoldering wicks but not just for us. It's not just for us. The nations, maybe underline this last line. The nations will seek him. The nations will seek him. Ultimately, God poured his spirit out on Jesus. The spirit filled Jesus And in, in Matthew and Luke both. He says that uh, I cast out demons by the finger of God, by the, by the power of God himself, by the power of the Holy Spirit. God poured his spirit out on Jesus. Father, Son, Holy Spirit working together in community. And then Jesus pours out the spirit on you and I, on the followers of Jesus, on the day of Pentecost and following, on all who believe in Jesus. And why? So we can walk around and say, look at me, I'm full of the spirit. No, because God sends us to the nations. And when people see how we live, and how we are filled with the Spirit and how we are able to, to walk through and not be uh, crushed under the load and the grief that all humans carry. The nations will seek him. You see, Jesus was anointed as the Spirit. Behold, look, pay attention. My Spirit, I'll put my Spirit on him. Excuse me, my servant rather, Isaiah 42 and then elsewhere throughout Isaiah. And he puts the spirit on Jesus. And Jesus then pours out his spirit on you and I. And we make a difference in our world. And then we are called Mighty Oaks, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. And we go about our work of rebuilding ancient ruins and restoring places long devastated and renewing ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. The root of Jesse bears fruit, and you and I are part of that fruit. I am the vine, and you are the branches. And he wants to pour his spirit out on us, but it doesn't end there. He wants us to be faithful and keep in step with the spirit so that through us, God can pour his spirit out on the broken planet that we live on. And the final line is this, his resting place will be glorious. It's kind of strange language. It's almost like resting place. We almost think of someone who's died or something like that. But think in terms of where do we rest? Most of us, after we uh, are done with uh, our service at church and spending time in fellowship and maybe some food, we'll probably go where? We'll probably end up returning home. Anybody else like a good Sunday nap? That's our resting place. Where is the Lord's resting place? the one who is a banner for the people, the one that nations seek. Where's his resting place? Paul tells us, he says, you are the temple of God. Jesus came and moved into the neighborhood. And you and I are the home of the living God and we're called to show forth his glory in the face of brokenness, in the face of grief and loss and mourning. He wants to use us. God anointed the servant. The servant anointed us. And you and I carry that same spirit into our relationships, our workplace, our community, our homes, our neighborhoods. He anointed the servant to serve. The servant anointed his sons and daughters, you and I. But he sends us to the world so that the nations will seek him. Here's your outline for this morning. Four words to fill in at the bottom of the page. Number one, in the face of nothing. Number one, in the face of nothing. You may look around and say, all that's left of my life is broken bones, dried bones. A stump when there once was life, but there's still a root there. So in the face of nothing, number two, write down, God, God, brings forth something god is always at work but we we can't always tell sometimes there's a in a standing planter there is a delphinium plant that seems to be gone and yet the root is still there and god begins to water it it's still alive and then it begins to come up with fruit or there there may be a A fuchsia plant that you turn off your automatic sprinklers. But there's a root that's still there. And there's still life. God can bring life out where it looks like it's just a graveyard. In the face of nothing, God brings forth something. Number three, write down. And that something is the hope of the world. You and I are intended to live life in community with the servant of the living God the one on whom he poured out his spirit. And as we live in companionship and as we become his resting place, his home, Bethany, the place that Jesus always loved to visit and loved to feel at home, the world is watching and the world is hungry for a place where they can belong, where they can be healed, where their wounds can be bound up, where, where good news can be communicated when they feel like they can't go on any further let's pray God we ask you we ask you here at Bethany to pour out your spirit even again on your children on your sons and daughters on men and women on boys and girls pour out your spirit we long for more of your life we long for more of your breath we long to to get to know you better And truth be told, we long for our lives to count for something. Thank you for inviting us into a family where we can pray and serve and invest and give so that even generations relatively far removed from us can be helped, can be taught, can be encouraged, can be mentored. Father, make Bethany a place of beauty, of glory, not for our good, but for the good of the community in which you have planted us as your vineyard. We pray that we might be a place of glory because, very simply, we are alive because you are living in us. May we give hope to our neighbors, to the north and the south and the east and the west. We pray that because of our lives, because of our prayers, because of our service, because of our investment, because of our giving, we pray that we might encourage other people to seek you, even the nations to seek you. And number three, may that something be the hope of the world. Come, come, Abba, Father, to your children, to your family. Come, Holy, Holy Spirit. Come, Anointed King. Fill us, grow us, water us, enliven us. Breathe your breath into our lungs. Fill us with wisdom, fill us with understanding, fill us with the knowledge of the Lord. And give us delight in our relationship with you. And use us to bring hope to a desperate and a discouraged and a despairing world. We pray in the name of Jesus and in the power of the Holy Spirit. And all God's children said, Amen.